Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In this episode, we welcome Ryan. Ryan works for a nonprofit for foster care children. He is from a Philadelphia suburb of Pennsylvania. Please welcome Ryan. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the pod. Um, hey, hey, how are you? Very, very good. Good to see you. All right, so we're going to start off by just having you tell us your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah, my name. So my name is Ryan Barleib. Um, I live just outside of Philadelphia. My pronouns are he, him, his. Um, yeah, and now, yeah, I live right outside of Philadelphia. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So we're going to have you just start off by telling us about your first drinking or using experience and then taking us all the way through your journey up until now. All right. Okay. Um, I'll qualify myself first and say that uh, my sobriety date is November 24th of 2022. Um, and I have a sponsor. He knows he's my sponsor. Um, and a little bit. So about where it all started, I, um, I guess my first drink, it's always hard to pinpoint the exact first drink, but I like to, I, I would say it was sometime in eighth grade. Um, and it, yeah, it started out as alcohol with me. And what I like to say a lot is like alcohol to me was the, was my gateway drug. Like, uh, I felt like growing up in my generation, people talked about weed being such a gateway drug to all the other things, but alcohol is what opened up the doors for me to everything else. It honestly did. Um, alcohol, uh, when I first drank in eighth grade, it got me, it got me out of myself. Um, I feel like I grew up with a lot of shame growing up. Um, as I'm learning, like a lot of, um, of people in the LGBTQIA community, excuse me, <laughs> um, will say that they grew up with like a lot of shame. And I definitely, I definitely felt like I fit in that kind of category. I never felt like, uh, comfortable in my own skin. Um, I never felt like I belonged to a certain group of people. And I often did what I, I call like, like two magnets. Like if I got closer to someone or they knew too much about me, I started repelling the person backwards, whatever it might be, even family members, um, with fear of them knowing a little bit too much about who I am. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hated hearing, um, something I've, I don't know, I frowned upon so much was when, people approached me as if they knew they they like well ryan we know you're gay are you gay like all these different little questions that would honestly they're either, you're either going to react one way or another you're going to get angry or you're going to be you're going to be happy for like you're going to get joyous over it right mm -hmm. and uh i i uh would bounce back with anger often um deny it um i was in a constant state of denial growing up and um the alcohol is what, yeah, what uh gave me my beer muscles or my uh, what they say, like he, like Red Bull gives you wings type thing, like yeah, truly did <laughs> it uh, and that's how I got became social. Um, 
that's how I connected with the people that I wanted to connect with the cool kids when I was growing up. Um, my house was the house that I was able to have people over. So I was able to have the parties and people were able to come to my house after school. And, uh, it just became, it just, be, it honestly started, it started out as a weekend thing and all, and then switched to like, I mean, in high school, it was more so just weekends. And then, Sometimes we'd do the occasional Thursday or cut school and go back to my house and play beer pong. Um, and in that phase, I uh, started, that's when I also started uh, smoking weed and um, weed all, uh, actually became a daily thing. Um, so I did that. Uh, I did that for a while. The town I grew up in, I grew up in like. I grew up in Bluebell, it's called. It's right outside of Philadelphia. And I joke around about the place. I always said it's like Pleasantville. It's like uh -huh. all the moms are like super happy. They wave out their front doors when their kids go to the school bus and everything's perfect in Bluebell. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but inside the walls of our homes, there was a whole different story. And um, I have a beautiful family, amazing family. Don't don't get me wrong. Um but my family has, we have our own little internal issues and we didn't share, we never shared anything. We didn't communicate, um, which now my family today, we work on this. It's like mm -hmm. a, it's like a thing. My brother's like the peer mediator between all of us. Uh, he's like, we just got to communicate. We just got in it. And I often, <laughs> say, <laughs> I often say I have a love hate relationship, especially with my brother, but uh, he's often right in the end. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But um. And growing up, I also have uh, I have addiction that runs through my family um, on all sides of it. Um, I have but I also have strong pillars of sobriety within my family. That's been really helpful. I have an uncle who lives next door to me, grew up with me my whole life. He's like over 20 years sober and um, it, it's tough. Um, I grow up my uh, I specifically right now, my mom has. Uh, my mom has her own addiction problems and I love her to death. My mom is like, I'm the baby in my family. My mom is my best friend. Um, and uh, it's tough. Like, especially now I don't live in the same house with them. And I always thought I like I could go home to mommy and daddy. And I later found out that it just wasn't a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um I'll get more on that later. Uh, so, but just to touch more on like uh, my history with addiction and using um, where it, uh, things started spiking was when I went to college. I went to college at University of Tampa. Um, yeah, I graduated with a dual bachelor's in business management and marketing, and I have a minor in entrepreneurship. Um, the my college experience was unbelievable. Um, that's where I not only did my drug use expanding college but i also became more comfortable with myself um it's like i picked myself up and dropped myself in a brand new city not knowing a single person mm -hmm. and um although i didn't come out as being gay in college it wasn't it didn't ever it honestly just never came up i like i met some of the best people of my and i've ever met in my life mm -hmm. down in florida um it's almost like they just it didn't matter they like they like follow this whole like thing that I try to I try to preach now is this like um the like idea of love. Like they just they just want to see you do do well, succeed and and help other people in the end. Um it just was a beautiful place. It really was. I met people from all over the world 
and um and was very involved in on my campus as far as Greek life and um I did like a lot of leadership positions with throughout the campus um but like I said my drug use flourished this is when I got introduced to like uppers like ecstasy molly and cocaine mm -hmm. um but at this point in my addiction and everything everything was still fun and at my what I would say manageable um I was functioning is also what I used to say a functioning addict um I was like, I always felt like I was the life of the party. I had to, I loved entertaining people. I love making people feel good. And, um, that that's always been me. Um, I, uh, I actually, this is not even it. I was all proud of this when I was in college, but I think I got nominated for exactly the nomination, but for my fraternity, like most likely not to remember this night at our formal. <laughs> and I was so happy about it. There's a picture of me somewhere about like holding this little award and although I remember where we did the party, I I really don't remember the night. So they were they had it to a T. Right. Uh, people knew if they called Ryan, they would have they would more than likely have a great time. And uh, it made me feel good. It really did. But after college, when I really needed to focus on my life more and like where I'm going to be at in my future, concentrating on my goals, that all fell short. Like I I continued the party when I came back to Philadelphia. I wanted everything to continue. Um. I and it did. I'll be honest, it did. Um, I I got my close group of friends from home. We started going out to clubs in the city, and thing, and we were all getting jobs. It was a really, honestly, it was a great time in my life. At uh, right after college, so like when I was twenty three, twenty four, um, we all got jobs. We were celebrating each other's successes, and um, things were good. Things were good. Uh, at this point, I wasn't out still uh, as far as like publicly announcing being gay. Mm -hmm. um, I I don't know why I struggled with that so much. And I don't and there's no regrets going back when I think about it. And I'll get to the point where I like fully came out to everyone. But um, I uh, yeah. So then so after college, um, the party still continued um, when I was about 24. Or 25, I met my, or actually it was like 22 or 23, 22. I met my first boyfriend. Um, and I read something the other day. It was, I loved this. They said like, in life, you'll meet like three different types of relationships. You'll have a, a, your first relationship will be a young love. And when you think about it later on in life, it might not, you might not actually think it's love, mm -hmm. but it was love for what you, what your capacity was at that point in your life. Your second love is somebody that you're going to get hurt by. Um, and the third one's something spontaneous. I'll get to the other boyfriend in a second, but <laughs> wait, I'm waiting on that third one to happen. Right. right. But um, <laughs> Yes. I met my first boyfriend and, um, and this is also at the same time when I uh, got introduced to opiates um, at this point too, like I said, I graduated from college. I set myself up for success in life, but, I undervalued myself my whole life. I just went right into the restaurant field and there's nothing wrong with working in restaurants. Believe me. I loved it. Love the money, love the people and um, love the social aspect of it. But I always did what Ryan was comfortable doing. And I never put myself out of the box. I never, I, when I read job descriptions online, I just automatically thought there's no way someone's going to hire a guy like me for this position. And, um, um, yeah, and I'll get to what happens later. But I, uh, 
I, uh, yeah, so opiates took over my life for a good eight years. I never stepped into the use of heroin, but I, I was doing Percocet 30s. I was spending three to $550 a day on Perc 30s huh. um, for seven and a half years. Pretty much my entire uh, span of me dating my one my first boyfriend. Um, it was not a great relationship. It was very toxic. We were both addicts in our own way. So I don't I don't. And again, I don't blame him or anybody. We we both played parts in our destruction in our destructive relationship. We really did. Um, and I and I care about the guy now, although we don't talk. He's on my men's list. And and hopefully one day I get to talk to him. Um, so what I'm going to bring myself up to where I got, how I got like into the room. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. My last use. So my last use was the last, uh, so I guess I'm 13 months sober now. So six years ago, I, uh, was actually, so six and a half years ago, I guess I got off the opiates. I was sober for about six or eight months Mm -hmm. and, uh, went to my, had no boyfriend at this point. I just started a new job in a new company and uh, life was good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to center city and I went to my first bathhouse and uh, at the bathhouse, I had no idea what a bathhouse was. I was uh, so turned off by it. I'm like a little neat freak. I uh, so grossed out by the idea of be going into a bathhouse mm-hmm. and I did. Um, and I got introduced to crystal meth and uh Crystal meth was my wreckage. It really brought, this is what brought me to my bottom. Um, It's this drug. I like to describe it as it flipped my, it literally turned me a complete 180 my Mm -hmm. whole life. Um, Like I said before, I was pretty functioning with my other, with my other usages, my drugs, my alcohol. I was able to like in society's view, get by. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I was, and, and I'm a, I was a great trickster. You know what I mean? I could fool anybody. I had, I had three sides to Ryan. There was the side that presented to my family, a side that went out and partied and had fun, who was uh, goal focused, and then there was a third Ryan, with a third set group of friends that went out after the after party, right? And um, so when I went down to the city and I found crystal meth, I. Uh, I also met a guy and I joke around about this. This is his boyfriend number two. And I joke and say, I found love in a hopeless place like that Rihanna song. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I met a guy and um, he had no blame towards this guy. I uh, still care about him very much. He, um, me and him just hit it off. Uh, we literally lived out of my car Um and uh, I used to joke, too, and say that we were like Bonnie and Clyde. We lived in this little bubble. Um, whatever made Ryan and, and this person happy is what is is all that mattered. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter what wreckage I put through other people. Didn't matter who I hurt. Um, as long as me and him were happy, that's all that mattered. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, actually right in the beginning of the f- the six years ago, I um, I didn't it didn't take long for me to lose my my corporate job my my career job i had and what was so it's just it's just crazy what we what our minds do at the in uh in addiction like i celebrated losing this job this job that i worked so hard for um that paid off my i had all no debt my cars paid off you know it was really setting me myself up myself up although it was a slow progression and like an addict i want everything so immediate i still do 
I want, I want immediate satisfaction and I'm working on this mm. every day. I work on this, this idea. And, but I didn't realize how good I had it, you know, until it was all gone. And, uh, so, uh, I, yeah, I lost the, I lost my job. I got that call and you know what? I celebrated it. I was so happy about mm. it. I, uh, that's when like, that was when I completely cut my family off. Um, and me and him strictly lived out of this car. Um, and the other things our mind puts us to, like, I, uh, we spent, we lived in that car for about a year and a half, two years on the streets of Philadelphia. And, um, eventually it got towed. And when the car got towed, that was another celebration. I was so happy. Me and him didn't have to wake up and be like, oh my God, where's my car? Where is it? What do we do? Is it towed? This? Oh my gosh. It was a headache. Um, but in these five years is when I, this five year span, um, I spent five years pretty much um, homeless on the streets of Philadelphia. Um, after the car was gone, I, I, I was arrested for the first time. I was, uh, I, I would rob any store that I came across. Um, pretty much a little bit of a diva. I love my brands and my, my electronics and all this sort of stuff. And even though I was homeless, I still tried to like, have this facade that I was okay. And I did it by stealing from stores and stealing from people. And so I went to jail for the first time. Um, actually it was, I think I, on, I, this is how bad it is. I, I used to look at going to jail as like a nap, a break from, uh, the monotony of the daily, uh, escapades, all the craziness that became just normal at one point. And I uh, went to, I was in and out of jail probably five times in the past five years. Uh, State Road, never in my life thought I'd be wearing an orange jumpsuit, the last, last thing, last color and last outfit I ever thought I'd wear. And uh, yeah, and that's happened. After my first time of getting out of jail, um, when I got out of jail, I had, I, uh, my partner that I had was no longer with me. Um, he was running, he actually had met some other guy and that's the craziness we put ourselves through too. I don't know if it, what it's like in straight relationships or whatever, but in the gay world, I, I wasn't used, I don't know. I, this makes much sense. I wasn't used to like, I always, I used to joke around and say like, I loved this, like Rick, I loved all of Lucy when I was little, my mom used mm -hmm. to watch that. And I used to say, I wanted this like, like always had this like Ricky and Lucy relationship. And I used to even tell my, my second boyfriend that I'd be like, you know, we got to be like Ricky and Lucy. We got to be, we got to be one in front of people. We can fight and do whatever we want behind doors, but we cannot go out into the, into the community and be like, be like, like have a, have like vindictive feelings towards each other. Yeah. Uh, like don't, don't go to another guy and complain about little things about me because they're going to feed into it. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's just toxic. Mm -hmm. And, um, but like I, I can give advice all, all, all the time, but I don't know if I didn't always take it, especially in active addiction. Right. Um, we we just did our own thing. And but at the same time, we thought we would say that we were monogamous and we weren't. We would like go. We would like say we're going to go do something for somebody. And it always was a sexcapade in the end. Um, and who's to say it was really a relationship, right? It was really, like I said, toxic. Um, and it was filled with, it was, it was a relationship born on drugs and that's all it was ever seen to be. Mm. Um, on the streets of Philadelphia, I had a lot of stuff happen to me other than just the arrest. I, um, I, uh, 
this stuff's tough for me to, this will be the first time I'm going to talk about this sort of stuff. But, um, I had, uh, I was sexually abused when I was on the streets of Philadelphia, uh, multiple times I was beat up, uh, robbed all sorts of things. And that's when I started to get really, uh, I guess, creative might be the word. Mm -hmm. I was scared and not off on the street. And, um, I uh, used to climb up like fire escapes and things and hide on rooftops in the city. And um, that was like my little, I, and, and I thought it was okay. Like I used to bring hookups on these rooftops and like, I, at one point I was like collecting stuff like furniture and I put a grill and everything on this rooftop. And I had this like odd vision, like I'm going to, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to, I'm going to start a life here <laughs> hidden on this rooftop. And That's it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right uh and um and look i did this for five i five years i lived on the sh on the street of philadelphia and um i keep saying that because it it blows my mind to think about it a year mm -hmm. like a year and a half ago that's where i was yeah. um uh while while using uh crystal meth i was uh heavily addicted to ghb um they just went hand in hand together um i um they just went hand in hand together. Um, this is where it gets a little, my story gets a little rough, um, a little bit, a lot of war story, but um, I'll never forget it. It was on 12th and Walnut right off front of a Starbucks. I took a pretty hefty dose of GHB. I, I wasn't able to get it for a while. And some kid came up and he's like, Hey, I got it. And I took a swig from the bottle and like, this is how crazy it is too. Like I overdosed on this drug three other times throughout my five years. Mm -hmm. and constantly went back out didn't matter how long I was in the hospital I just kept going back out however this time is what where things went haywire pretty much I uh swigged from the bottle and if any of you might know it's like if I did something for five years I should know how to do, at least do the do the darn thing right yeah. and I, I was irresponsible the way how I did it and um it put me into, I like rapidly sunk into an overdose. Um, what's really, I like to talk about this because I think it's good for people to know um, the severity of the drug. Like this drug, this drug will literally slow your heart rate down until the point that you die. And uh, what it did to me is I, uh, I overdosed and it put me into a coma. Um, I was in a drug induced coma for two, a little over two weeks. I was sent to UPenn Hospital in Center City of Philadelphia. Um, at this point, I uh, I was like a John Doe in the hospital because when you're when you're with your quote unquote friends and you overdose, a lot of the times it's just sad to say, but nobody wants to get in trouble. So what do they do? They leave you. Mm -hmm. And uh, God forbid, I mean, thankfully somebody somebody called the ambulance and got me where I needed to be. But I was just lucky, you know, um, yeah. and I don't and again, I don't blame the person that gave me the stuff or any. It was all this is my action in the end. I chose to do this stuff. This is I chose to take the drug irresponsibly and I chose the lifestyle that I I chose to be. I, I didn't have to live on the streets of Philadelphia for five years. I like I said, I had this beautiful family I could have went back to. I just had too much pride and I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to face reality. I just didn't. And the more time that went by, the harder and harder and harder it got for me to just buck up and do it. 
Um, but this is what it took. It took me overdosing uh, on the drug the third time and putting me into a deep coma for two weeks at Penn, like I mentioned. After the two weeks, I had a feeding tube in me. Um, and I they pulled the feeding tube out of me. And uh, that's when I came to. And I must have uttered like my, I think my, my sister tells me, and it's, it's still, honestly, it's still all kind of gray. Um, I uttered her name and they were, uh, the doctors and nurses at Penn hospital were able to find my family. Um, this family that I told you, I, I dodged and avoided for five years. They came to my bedside. My parents were in, in their seventies. All right. Um, they came every single day to sit by my bedside and I was not even there yet. I was uh, actually on a four point restraint. Um, when you overdose in this drug, your whole body, it's like you like you're like a little kid again, and you slowly gain back your capabilities. You like being able to go to the bathroom, your muscle movements, like everything is um everything is like slowly brought back to you almost. Um, and I was on this four-point restraint for four weeks. My family came to visit me every single day, like I mentioned. They came well before uh visiting hours because uh, like i said they're in their 70s they hated rush hour they would get down there they would sit and wait until noon until they were allowed to come up and see their son and they'd sit by my bedside until they were literally forced to leave the hospital um uh i met i met some awesome people in the hospital but i didn't even know i met them my brother's new girlfriend who's been like a pillar of light in my recovery and i'll talk about her more towards the end as well but um, and other people, my uncle who would come in and say prayers for me and uh, give my family some hope that everything was going to be OK. Um, after the four weeks, I uh, I um, had the restraints move, removed from me. Um, but I however, I was still not mentally there. And my story contains like mental health issues. So I apologize if it offends people. But um, I uh, I had the restraints taken off of me and um. I tried to AMA and leave the hospital that day. I tried to sign myself out of Penn Hospital. Um, however, because of my mental state, I wasn't able to just sign myself out. Mm -hmm. It's not the way it worked. Uh, like I had done so many other times when I had been in the hospital in the past six years. Um, I was held there. And um, my nurse had left my room briefly. Um, I was on a one-to-one -one watch at this point or the whole time. And she left my room briefly and I tried to walk out the door. They wouldn't let me. And my first reaction when I went back in my room was I got to get out of here. And I was on the sixth floor of the hospital, like five blocks from my drug dealer. And all I wanted to do was get back down to my life after I just like pretty much almost killed myself. Right. Mm -hmm. I had every glimpse of like hope for my family to just come back and, and go there. And that's, that's what's crazy too. We get these little windows of opportunity and we don't jump through them and they're only open for a very brief amount of time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and to get out of the hospital that day, I, uh, when my nurse left, I used, I went to this, the window of my, my hospital room. Um, and I'll never forget it. It's like little glimpses, but I, uh, used, I couldn't get out cause of the sixth floor the windows are bolted shut or screwed shut. I used the pen cap on the girl's desk and unscrewed the, uh, screws of the window on the sixth floor. I uh, then climbed out of the window on the sixth floor of Penn Hospital. And this is crazy. It sounds crazy. Um, and I tried to climb down. And uh, this is how stupid I am, too, and how, how our minds are just not in the right place. If I would have looked down and saw there was no ground. 
there was a it's a it was like a vestibule of windows and i was hospital i was in a bed for four weeks so i had no upper body strength i had nothing nothing to me and i was 100 at this point i was 120 pounds no eyebrows uh <laughs> i was a wreck um and i climbed out that window and the second gravity took on me i fell i actually fell four stories I hit the second floor roof of Penn Hospital, uh, that rooftop of the, the vestibule windows uh, that I would have, even if I successfully climbed down that day, I would have never made it. I would have never made it to my drug dealer's house that day. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. It would have never happened. Um, and it sounds crazy when you hear it. But again, this is what our minds like. I was in a, what they call a drug induced psychosis. I like I said before, I climbed buildings every single day to hide from the hide from the wreckage of the streets of Philadelphia. I would rent Airbnbs, leave the windows open, climb up the fire escapes, like like camp out for a few days until the landlords would blow me out. And I would run out the back window. And I did this all every single day for five and a half years. So it might sound crazy that I climbed out or jumped out of a window, whatever, whatever, whatever story or picture it ends up being painted as. But I fell four stories and uh, hit the second floor roof. I um. I had a I had a cast from my neck from down to below my waist until last uh, beginning of uh, end of January, beginning of February. Um, I have three spinal three lumbar fractures in my spine. The right side of my hip is fractured. I've had surgery on both my wrists. Um, this is like. This is like, uh, I'll go back to, back in a minute, but uh, this is like what I would say like is like this huge glimpse of higher power. And like, this is like, I don't know, I get my palms red and stuff now because I'm like all about it and I should actually focus on the moment, but I don't. But um, when I get my palms red, this woman always says like, I have angels carrying me. And uh, she always says specifically my grandmother's. And I love, uh, I don't know, my grandmom and my nanny were like my best friends. They loved us. They do anything for us. And they were like the queens in our families. They ran shit. <laughs> their husbands and all their kids. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I um, I was then sent to uh, the trauma center at Jefferson. Mm -hmm. I was in the hospital at the trauma center for over a month, um, rehabilitating myself. I never, th this is what's even crazier. I never thought I'd walk again. Not only that, when I, uh, got to talk to a nurse. The nurse came to like talk to me and my family. They had to introduce all my injuries, what I had done to myself. Um, they also had introduced to me I uh, all the what I did to myself in the past five years. I had um, gonorrhea, syphilis. Uh, this is when I found out I had HIV. Mm -hmm. um, this is the first time I'm ever talking about this too openly like this. But these rooms is what's given me the courage to actually say this on a public level, I guess, or whatever kind of level you want to call this. Mm -hmm. um, I was so ashamed of being not only just being gay growing up, but like I always had the fear of that I would be, get AIDS and that I would, something bad was going to happen to me and that people are going to hate me even more. And, and um, through going to these rooms and hearing stories like, like from other people and their courage to talk about what, what, like all the things that we think are like oddities that you can't talk about with society. Like mm -hmm. I'm gay. I, uh, I'm a crystal meth addict. I have H I'm HIV positive. Uh, I had a whole list of STDs and like 
these are things you just don't talk about, but by me talking about it and other people talking about it, then other then it might become more allow people to bring it up in like common conversation or at least to close friends and family and understand it a little bit because I know I used to think I was invincible. Mm-hmm. Like I could have sex with anybody, do whatever I wanted, and I just was immune from getting HIV. And I and I never got tested. And it's because I just was I didn't want to have to deal with if it really if it if I had it. I just didn't want to have to accept it. Thank you for tuning in to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please come back next week for the conclusion of this incredible episode. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talk and tell me something jar-topping in me on my head with your biggest mistakes. I don't want your daily drama, fill me in on family traumas, tell me all the medication that you take. Cause life's so short, we're playing so fast, and not say anything at all. It's wasted breath, you don't get back, so make it anything but small, small talking.